This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Fam, 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 profane faith fam. Listen, we back, we back. Oh my gosh, it's been uh, been a little too long, been a little too long. And I apologize, I'm going to break it all down here as we get going for the seventh seasons of Profane Faith, fam. Can't believe that. If you a long-time listener, first-time listener, thank you. We about to do this. We about to do it. I got a great season planned for y'all, and we are back. We are back. So come on, fam. Let's do it. This is Profane Faith. have enemies within our country. I think it's a combination of demonology and psyop. The citizens are going to rise up and become deputized. I have always heard President Trump. I, I like the way he talked. He reminded me of most men. Joe Biden last night in the debate, hes it's like he's not even a human being. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represented extremism. Can you imagine repatriating all the black Americans that Pat just spoke about to Africa? Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins, faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, or even out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. And look, we won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'll be your host, Daniel White Hodge. All right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, we are back. We are back. Here we are. Um, well, thanks for joining us back again here um, with Profane Faith. And um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to be covered here. And uh, let me give you the breakdown here in regards to what has happened. <laughs> well, um, you know, and I took the, what is it? I took the last season off, six, you know, season six, uh, and usually take some time, uh, you know, off and, and, you know, usually come back in the fall. At least that's been kind of the, the pattern. Um, and kind of go through the spring and then end up, you know, ending around the summer. That's kind of been the seasonal pattern. But, uh, you know, this this year and these last few years have been interesting. Uh, for those of you who are new, um, you know, we've shifted to a, a twice a week or once every other week um, podcast. We used to be every week um, and then just having difficulty just keeping up with the you know, each episode, I don't want to fall behind. And I was like, okay, every other week we'll give a little time and it'll space the interviews out. Um, trying to find people for weekly episodes and just trying to keep stuff in archive. For those of you who do podcasts, you can kind of understand, you know, you want to kind of keep a, a little bit of a, a cushion, right? You know, I don't want to be calling people, you know, on Thursday to say, hey, can we record? I want to release this podcast, you know, tomorrow night. <laughs> Um, that's not idea. I want to give people enough time, especially to get good guests uh, and give them the heads up and, you know, planning around people's schedule. Um, so then the fall came and man, it was just I felt like hair on fire just at work uh, in terms of just the craziness that was going on there, uh, you know, in my institution and 
just dealing with all the bullshit that goes on at a you know at the university level and especially at a private christian university uh a ton of bullshit and you know there's so much administrative stuff that's just not going right everything's broke uh and what i mean by that is like you know you'll try to you know register classes get students registered for class and that system is broke you try to get students a job in the career center where no one's there the person that they hired uh you know just resigned she was only there three months right um you get you you know you try to get a reimbursement check on on a travel grant and uh that takes three months right and, th and then they're gonna fight you for every receipt that you turn in like why are you spending this and why are you spending that so it's just a fight everything's punitive um and that just takes a toll it just takes a toll um you know i'm one of i think i've said this before like you know five six black folk and of that i'm really the only african-american um you know the other black folk that on campus are you know they're they have african caribbean island descent which is cool they cool they down they all good you know whatever Woo. <laughs> but um you know it's it that type of experience and uh engagement uh it, yeah it, it can produce a whole different thing and that's not to say that i don't have colleagues who are sympathetic and and, and work with that. i know i have one colleague um who identifies as biracial and you know she's amazing and you know we connect uh she's mainly you know she she works a lot off campus or i only see her you know once um in a blue moon and that's not enough and so there's not really a lot of collegiality that happens um again that too takes a toll um and uh you know all those things that it just pushed me back and i was like i'm going to release at the beginning of the year beginning of 2023 i'm going to release well and then the beginning of the year starts and then my hard drive decides to just bug out um completely like uh i literally is i'm using it one day i'm downloading all the uh well i'm transferring all the files from my sd card that i had recorded i had all these these great interviews recording them i was like okay let me put them on my hard drive for backup for safekeeping put them on there and then literally the following week the hard drive doesn't even the, the system doesn't even recognize it so very long story short i'm trying to figure out what the hell is going on with that um and it's broke <laughs> it's broke uh and those of you know anything about you know like computers and technology you know they, they call it the click of death on on hard drives i started to hear that and i thought okay well maybe it's just the hard drive head that's stuck uh and it needs to be pulled out but now nah, i sent it in and the drive recovery people data recovery people were like nah man them the, the heads are scratched there ain't nothing we can do about it the data's lost period um so i was like god damn that's just fucked up <laughs> you know what i'm saying because it's like all my shit is on there and i have a backup but it's a year and a half old um so all of season six uh is lost uh in terms of like the originals i have the masters right they're all still uploaded and so if you're you know been listening to profane faith those are still uploaded on the server so that's fine it's just if i ever want to go back and fine tune anything uh you know i'm not going to be able to um and then of course i lost all the new interviews and stuff and so luckily i was able to find a software called recover um and somebody told me look man just see if you can pull that old data off the raw interviews off the sd card and sure enough it did a deep dive i don't even know how i did it but i was able to recover those and by the time that happened that was last week i was like oh my gosh 
Uh, I got to get this thing out. I have I've literally had people emailing and texting me like, man, when you coming out with a new season? So thank you for those who have stayed true. That is what has been happening. Uh, and that, you know, the, mainly the hard drive uh, and then my own bandwidth of just being able to, you know, have the capacity to do uh, this show. And this is something that I love to do. This is something that that gives me life. Um, and I want it to be that I don't want it to be a chore. If it turns into a chore, what's the point? I have enough of those in my life already. Uh, I don't need another chore. And um, yeah, that, so that's that's the background on that. That's the background. And, uh, you know, I lost a lot of data, but it is what it is. And, uh, I, you know, at least I had a backup of that drive. Um, and I was at least able to get, you know, I still have, you know, my you know, like original manuscripts that I've written and all that stuff like that. But I did lose a lot. And, you know, it's it's the, it, it reminds me more and more of the world that we live in right now is so digital um, and electronic that when something like that goes down, um, you really are screwed. <laughs> you really are screwed, man. I think about, it, you know, an EMP going off, you know, in the middle of the country and scrambling on the grid and scrambling all everything that's electronic. Uh, we would be fucked up. Um, <laughs> uh, because most of us, right, don't have necessarily, you know, like a Faraday box or whatever. And I don't either, for that matter. Uh, Faraday box, of course, is a box that is that is, you, you can build it. You can buy one uh, that helps block out electromagnetic waves. And, um, you know, you put, whatever you put in there can, you know, will, will stand, at least in theory, um, an electromagnetic pulse. Um, and so, uh, you know, it just, it just happens. And so I think about that a lot with all the amount of stuff, like I had some tax receipts that I digitized and, um, you know, they just gone. So I had actually have the, the data recovery place, write me a letter. Cause I was, if I ever get audited, yeah, they going to believe a black man saying, oh man, that stuff was on a hard drive that got lost. <laughs> right. And I'd give him that laugh too, man. Um, so here we are back. Um, I wanted the intro episode to be more of a, a state of type of, not a state of a union, but a state of address. Uh, cause there's a lot of shit going on right now. Um, and we knew that we just been going on for a long time. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think that, uh, I don't always have a, a, a pleasurable outlook for the future. Um, and, and I've said that before. And I think that, you know, as a society, we're heading into some, uh, some real stormy waters. And I think it will determine the outcome of just civilization in general, given the climate change, given the amount of wars that are possible, uh, given the amount of, uh, the fact that, you know, nuclear weapons are still, there's, there's still a ton of them still active and pointed towards cities around the globe, not just U.S. cities, but, you know, in China and in Russia, uh, India, Pakistan. I mean, so the you know, folks who have the nukes, um, there is a, a sense of what the hell are we going to do next? in general right uh and that's felt in a lot of different places and i'll talk about it as in in the college classroom i can easily say all of my classes uh of all the students in there they're they are consistently tired stressed depressed anxious overworked um i can show a clip in class a four three four minute clip and they're falling asleep and i think prior to the pandemic i would have been like oh man come on now and now it's just like, no, 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 I get it. I get it. 
And especially being in an environment that like I'm in, where things are just failed, there's a sense of really low morale in general in my workplace, um, across the board, not just among students, but faculty, staff, everywhere. I mean, it's really the, it's the leadership. The leadership is horrible where I work. It's horrible. The administrative senior leadership is horrible. Um, and it just chews people up and, 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 and spits them out. Um, and, and that's felt. That's felt. Um, so what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Right? We got uh, you have an ongoing rise of nationalism that is uh, very strong, uh, very, very much growing. Um, and uh, it's not it's not going away. Uh, there's a sense that uh, guns and violence uh, will solve things. And, you know, in this country, we we just we don't. I mean, at the time of the the, the mass killing in Monterey Park, uh, which I'm sure most of you've heard about, uh, what was it? Thirty three, thirty five uh, in, in any phenomenal number uh, at a time in the year when it wasn't that there was there were more mass killings than there were days in the year. Um, that alone should, 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 should say everything. Um, and you know, nothing continues to get, uh, fixed on any of that. <laughs> uh, you know, none of that. And, and here's the thing, I'll be honest with you. I don't think just gun control is going to solve anything. This issue is much deeper than that. I mean, California has some of the, you know, the strict, most strictest gun laws, uh, in the, in the country. And they still pulled off two mass shootings, you know, almost back to back. Um, so there's some things going on. And so I don't think, oh, yeah, let's just ban all the AR-15s, uh, which, by the way, AR-15s is not an assault rifle. It's an Armalite rifle. It's, a, it's with the design of the rifle, the, the, the maker of that. The, the press really put the name assault rifle on there. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, you know I'm, I am struggling and trying to figure out what do we do? Um, and, you know, and from a, a micro perspective, from, you know, from my own family perspective, I think that that's um, things, things, things work out, right? We, I can, you know, we can affect change, you know, in that way. It's like, we, you know, we're, we're keeping on, we're moving forward. We're doing things. Things aren't hopeless. Uh, but I also get the people who have went through divorce. I had a colleague uh, who went through a divorce. Uh, 30 years he was married and uh, wife was just like, nah, I'm done. We out. Um, and that brother was dead within a month. <laughs> okay. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's just it. I mean, I, I feel like we are as a society on overload constantly. We're in the red. You can't survive when you're in the red all the time when you just don't have any bandwidth and it's constantly in there. I mean, think about running a car, right? You look at your tachometer, your speedometer, you know, if you're constantly running that thing in the red, that's never a good thing ever. Right. There's a reason why there's 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 a there's a there's a red line there. Um, and that's that's where I feel like we are. And it's not like it's every it's it's a different form of it. It's it's the ongoing. It's the ongoing pressure. It's the ongoing pile on of things every day. We don't even get a chance to process what happened in Monterey Park, let alone unpack what happened to George Floyd, let alone what happened to Tyree Nichols, right? We're, it just keeps moving and going. And I feel like we're not, whatever we're doing, we're not, it's, it's not working. <laughs> it's not working. And I'm just here opening and processing with you. I don't have the answers. You listening to this right now. Um, I'm just going to share just my own thoughts and processes as it pertains to 
where we find ourselves as a society. Um, you know, on one end, you have people who are just coming into some kind of awareness that, whoa, whoa, things are messed up. They're not as what we, not as what I thought life would be. Um, you know, and oh man, I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I'll be honest. I don't have a lot of, you know, bandwidth for that. Like if you're just at the one-on-one spot, well, first of all, you probably wouldn't even be listening to this podcast, but, um, I would imagine most of my audience is not at the one-on-one spot, but if you're there, I'm just not there anymore. I, I, I'm not, I'm not the one, um, where I'm at is I'm trying to, you know, I've moved beyond marching. I've moved beyond trying to sign petitions, trying to get a hold of my politicians. Um, I'm just not there anymore because I just don't see it working. I don't. I don't. I see it just, you know, people like on both sides, right? Usually the Republicans doing it. And, and, and I'll be honest, Republicans, I think right wing folks are able to galvanize around certain topics like abortion, gun rights, whereas left leaning people, leftists, however you want to put it, liberals, Democrats, um, they just can't. Liberals in general, I think, have a, have a, a you know, moment and a mantra to just coming together on a particular topic, right? Because everybody wants to be right. No one wants to say anything that's offensive. And you're just kind of like, ah, whatever, man, let's, I don't even know. And, you know, those become pressure points that the right uses to um, highlight. You know, as they as they should, right? I mean, if you're thinking about a debate, right? You're gonna highlight, you know, your opponent's weakness and stuff. And so, um, I'm trying to think through, like, what it, what is the next step? Because marches are just that. It's nice to see thousands of people, maybe even millions of people, come together and and and, and you know walk against that. But what is that doing? That's not affecting policy, right? It's great for the Instagram reel. It's great for your Twitter feed. Oh, I'm marching in this. Okay, and what are we doing, right? And that's and that for me, my own culpability of how I benefit from a capitalist society, right? It's like we all have blood on our hands, and that for me is a is is a is a difficult statement to come face to face with. Um, you know, I'm benefiting from that. It's like you know, I don't, I tend to not say too much about my own theology uh, for fear of getting, uh, you know, getting took out at my job, uh, and then I'll be without an income. And I hate being beholden to anything. I hate debt. I don't like student debt. I don't like mortgages. I don't like credit card debt. Um, I have it and it, it is what it is, but I don't like it. I don't like being beholden to anyone. Um, Cause we all know what that means, right? Being beholden to someone, being beholden to um, a, a, uh, an entity. Uh, that entity can then do and say things, uh, you know, uh, to make things very difficult for you. Um, and those of you, you know, who are in different, you know, positions, different categories, uh, of that, you know, you already know, you already know the deal. Um, I've been paying on my student loans for damn near 20 years. So, uh, and, and, and I don't really feel like I'm getting, making a dent. And even if, if I got the 20 grand taken off, that ain't going to do much. <laughs> right. And then, you know, and then you continue to see, right. It's like the money gets placed. Not that we have a shortage of money. No, no, no. Is that the money is allocated into different areas. Uh, you know, think about how much it costs to build a plane, a fighter jet, um, a, uh, um, a warship, you know, an aircraft carrier. Those are in the billions. Uh, what could that, that money be used for in other areas? So I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really believe any politician anymore. 
it's nice to see and i have some of my favorites and stuff you know i'm a fan of aoc i know she's not perfect i'm a fan of um uh the sister girl who or sister woman sorry uh from uh minnesota elham i'm a fan of hers as well um but i'm just like what can two people really do um and i appreciate the the instagram post i appreciate this thing but it just it seems like we are headed into really troubled waters um which will determine which way humanity heads will we be blasting ourselves back to the stone age um and have to restart on civilization um will the elite become the the the, the future because they'll be the ones right who are able to you know move and 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 uh you know gain access to spaces and places in this world uh that are, aren't as as effective you know by climate change i don't know or maybe they just leave the planet altogether, right um so these are just some of the things that i'm holding in tension here in season seven that i think it's important that we also hold intention you feel me Did you know that white folks knew that Jesus was a black man? The Pope know it. The Pope got in his private worship chamber. The black Madonna with a black baby Jesus. How come they don't show that in America? That's shown in Europe, but not here because in America, this is the citadel of white supremacy. And therefore, if you're gonna elevate white to the position of God, you cannot show anything favorable on the black man lest the black man will begin to think better of himself. And as long as you think that you are nothing, you will always be ruled by others. You got the picture? For a lot of you, you have uh, been listening to this podcast for a long time. And, you know, I've worked through my own theological spaces and I've definitely come to favor process theology. Um, and one of my favorite process theologians who I've had on the show, Dr. Monica Coleman, uh, posted in a uh, post. I, I loved what she had to say. Um, and I'm and I'm going to be miss. I'm paraphrasing. I don't I'm not I don't think I'm misquoting, but I know I'm paraphrasing. And she basically said how a loss of faith is necessary as you develop your own um theological process, right? You 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 know, and so it's it's natural. I think so many of us, especially those of us who've come out of conservative evangelical spaces, um, are still trying to find our way um and what that means. What does it mean to 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 seek the divine? Um, how much of the bathwater do we throw out? How much of the baby do we keep? How much of the bathwater do we keep and get rid of the baby? Um, those are some questions that I know that I ask all the time. And I think, you know, uh, I'm reminded that uh, the, the, the concept of the divine is much more complex, um, than any of us even think it is, um, and, and I also am reminded, too, when there's horrific events like that, what, which is happening right now in Turkey, uh, which has been happening in Syria, the civil war. When I think about what's happening in different parts of the continent of Africa, when I think about even what's happening in Ukraine, for that matter. Right. I mean, you think about here, the horror stories is that I don't believe in a in a God that is caring for people only if they pray or they put a certain thing out there. 
right? I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe in this kind of uh, tokenized God where you, you know, you give the God or the deity figure these tokens or whatever it is, right? A prayer, um, a fast, a some kind of symbol of something, and then they will automatically care for you. Even when I hear people say, oh man, God blesses or God bless them and I'm gonna be praying for them. What does that even fucking mean? <laughs> Those are, I'm just, I'm genuinely asking that question. I mean, that for me is where my own theology, I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm out of a road here. Because if, because if there is really genuinely a God that is this all caring, then it's clear that God has their favorites, <laughs> right? Um, you know, and maybe God is a white God, uh, that, you know, with the Ronald Reagan heaven, I hope not, but, uh, it, it, yeah, I, it, I, I don't want it to be that, <laughs> but maybe when you think about it, I mean, who's been in charge for the last 400 years, right? Who has gotten the, the, uh, the upper hand in things? It's been the Eurocentric ideology in the Western mindset. Right. You think about even just, you know, how guns and steel and uh, 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 germs, right? All those things have benefited, right? Those of the European uh, ethnic environment. And I think about just the, con the, the, the conquering of countries, continents um, has favored that. And, and, and for one, I don't know what change can happen in a country where we as black people are constantly begging constantly begging you cannot respect anyone who is constantly begging of you you just can't you can't look them in the eye and i you know how i know that because think about this how often are we giving to the folks who are on the street homeless right they're constantly begging they're constantly coming to the window some of us are just like oh shit i'll give you a couple dollars but i don't know what that's gonna do it's not solving homelessness it's not doing anything it's just like i, I don't know if i can respect you there's a sense of respect that comes with that. And I don't mean to make proclamative statements and, um, you know, to be like, oh, this is the, you know, a generalized state in essence. But black people in this country, ethnic minorities, BIPOC folks have been asking for a long time. And anytime we get near something like that, it is torn apart. Um, we're very fragmented right now i mean obviously as a society we are but even even within the black community i mean you, you know yeah we might be able to agree on race in the black community but we damn sure don't agree on human sexuality some of these posts out here right and you think about even with stuff that kanye said right I mean, we even have a conversation around that um you know and and the, you know the fact you know he's talking about you know people say oh he's anti-semitic and you know and, and all he's against it. yeah he said some crazy shit don't get me wrong don't get it twisted um and, you know, within that, it's like there's still a strong support for him within the black community. And I understand that. I might not agree with it, but I understand it. And, 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 I, and, I, and I can get it at, at, at many different levels. Um, you know, because there are so few that have, quote unquote, made it in comparison uh, within the black community. Right. Uh, and then what do they make? That is the, that's really the bigger question. What is made of that? Um, and that's for me, again, going back to God, uh, you know, if we're going to believe the, the God that evangelicals have painted, um, it, yeah, I, I, I'm just not with that God. I mean, I think evangelicalism needs to burn to the ground. I'm just going to be flat out honest. It needs to burn to the ground. I said it. I'm sure some of y'all hating out there and listening to the, you know, to the, to the series and being like, aha, he said it. 
I goddamn did. Um, because it has been such a destructive force for especially anybody in the LGBTQ plus community. And it has been way more of a destructive force in people in black and brown people's and, and Asian people's uh, lives than most of them realize that it has. I look at a lot of my former CCDA and UIWI fam, and I'm just like, man, that's some colonized shit that I personally used to agree with. <laughs> um, you know, and that's the thing is I can't be mad at anybody. We're all in our own processes. I get that. But I'm tired of begging. I'm tired of begging and I'm tired of 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 seeing a God that really isn't there. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, I don't doubt for a minute that there isn't something beyond what we can see in front of us. Right. Various dimensions that exist that we can't see. Neil deGrasse Tyson said it like this. He was like, you know, imagine trying to have a conversation with an ant or a grasshopper. Most of us don't even acknowledge their presence because people are like, you know, people asking like, well, how come we've been here on Earth and how come there's no aliens? It's like, well, if there are aliens or if there are people beyond life, beyond this planet, they very well may be well beyond our, our level of, of communication. Um, and I mean, think about this. I mean, I think about the amount of a degree of difference between our DNA and, you know, those of, of like monkeys and apes. Um and I think about that and I think about how difficult it would be to try to teach a chimp um, uh, math, right? Algebra, <laughs> right? And that's been done in one or two here and there. And it's been some basics. I mean, what was it? The Coco or something like that who knew the sign language? That's one out of thousands. So you can only imagine a higher intelligence, right? With, with just a few differences in our own DNA, in our own development, but they're way more advanced and them trying to write, explain to us wormholes <laughs> and how those work. Um, time travel, dimensional travel. Um, it's, it, you know, I, I, and I don't believe as, as, as a human being, we, we have, have evolved to a place. We're still very scary, very distrusting individuals. So I don't believe for a minute that there isn't something beyond that what we can see. Um, when you look at the world around us, when you look at how the world was formed, I don't think it was just done like by accident. And I get for you, some of you hardcore science people, you're like, right, but where are the metrics? Yo, we are discovering new shit every damn day. Stuff that people thought was impossible. That could never happen. People once thought Pluto was an inactive planet. And now once we got close to it and got some pictures, like, oh, whoa, there's a lot of shit happening on Pluto, right? People thought, oh, there's no way there could be uh, um, um, water on the moon. And you go over and you see it. Oh, shit, there's water on the moon. So there are things that we're constantly finding out. And it may just be that in, in, in where we are in time and place, because we, it, you know, we are engaged with time literally, right? Linearly. Okay. Uh, we engage with that in, in a way like, you know, we're constantly moving forward. So, I do believe that there's something beyond that. I think if you look at ancient uh, civilizations, there might have been some things. I don't want to get into the whole thing about, oh, the aliens built the, the pyramids. 
Because that whole ideology is racist as fuck too, right? Because it's like the, the pyramids were built by aliens in South America and Africa. But then you go to Europe and like, oh my gosh, no, there were no aliens there. That was the pure ingenuity of the people in the civilization there. Man, get the fuck out of here with that shit. <laughs> Either aliens built it or they didn't build it. Shit, you know what I'm saying? Because niggas needed help, you know what I'm saying? Nah, nah, nah. Um, but I do believe that there is advancements in civilization. Who knows? We may be the fifth you know, or sixth or second, third advanced civilization on this earth that got wiped, you know, before we get wiped out. I don't know. I really don't know. But I don't believe in the God that we have created that is constantly watching over us. It just doesn't all line up. And I know that for some of y'all, that's going to be like, woo. But it's a space and place that has taken me a long time to get. Um, and I know I'm going to continue to, to develop that as well in this process, if you will, um, of theology. So I think it's important that we have these conversations, um, because I don't think if, if there's a God that we define as God, like the all ever present being, like I've said before on this show, God may just be someone with an advanced ideology around mathematics creation. Um, and that's a God to us. I mean, we would be a God to somebody 20,000 years ago, right? Indoored housing, heating, plumbing, uh, the knowledge to, to, to even listen to something like this over the airwaves, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, um, to be able to download bits and pieces of information. And then, then that gets reconstructed. So it'll sound just like my voice right now, fam, that's, that, that's the level of a God. Um, and I think there's some 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 things in there that we got to we got to begin to unpack because it's just it's it's the theology runs short for me when I see this much carnage and suffering uh, on earth across the board. And, and, and a guy that's just being like, oh, yeah, y'all didn't pray hard enough. <laughs> y'all didn't do the things I said y'all should be doing. Right. That's some bullshit. Um, and if that really is God, hey, you know what? I think I'm just going to try to enjoy the rest of my life. Um, and I know again, for some folks, it'd be like, oh my gosh, but let's look beyond the colonization that we've been given. Uh, let's, let's look beyond what we've been told. Um, the Christian Bible has been manipulated and rewritten so many damn times. How can we even say we believe the English version? Right. It, it's, it's it, anyone with, with, with any sense of education should easily be able to look at that document and be like, I got, I got, I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of questions. Um, and that's not to say divine things don't happen. That's not to say that there isn't beyond or that there is not supernatural forces that are working. I completely believe that there is something even just in front of us that we can't see. Um, I do think there are such things as ghosts and spirits um, and, and supernatural occurrences that cannot be explained a lot of crap on the internet is fake. I will say that. Um, and, and, and I do believe in intuition and, you know, and the things that we can't even begin to explain that our own body is processing. Um, so to limit it to such a small and narrow view of the universe, um, and to be able to sit with our minds as humans want to construct meaning, we still haven't evolved past that. And so it's religion having a God that has created everything. It just feels good. 
you know, a God of the universe. It may just be the God of a planet. It may just be the God at the center of this solar system that hasn't traveled beyond this. It's just someone who just went and said, I'm going to start life over here. I don't know. <laughs> and, and most of us don't. And that's why I've always said it's like, uh, I'll talk to somebody uh, who's died and come back to life. Um, if it's been somebody who's been dead for like a week, <laughs> All right, if you've been dead a week or even three days, give me three days, give me three days, two days. Okay. Um, and you come back to life, you're reanimated. I, I, I'd love to have that conversation with you. Um, but again, I, I think to limit things, uh, it becomes problematic on a lot of different levels. And so, um, for me, it and it can be very depressing. It can be very defeating. It can be very limiting, uh, in the sense that, um, Right. We don't have all the answers and we don't know. And that's OK. It's living in that mystery, uh, which I think is a good thing. your manhood be proud of our heritage as somebody said earlier tonight we don't have anything to be ashamed of somebody told a lie one day they couched it in language they made everything black ugly and evil look in your dictionary and see the synonyms of the word black it's always something degrading and low and sinister look at the word white it's always something pure high but i want to get the language right tonight i want to get the language so right that everybody here will cry out yes i'm black i'm proud of it i'm black and beautiful So what I wanted to do was to bring on a couple of friends of mine um, to just talk about where we're at right now and to talk about different things and different uh, components of that. And what does it mean to be and fill in the blank? Um, so the first person I'm, I'm bringing uh, on and back is Kathy Kong. Uh, Y'all know her. She's great. She's amazing. She's been on the show before. Um, I think it's important to hear from um, our Asian, our Pan-Asian brothers and sisters uh, and non-binaries, you know, in a lot of different spaces. I think what happened in Monterey Park is not an isolated event. Um, and there continues to be a, a violence against 
our Asian American Pacific Islander fam. Um, that's, that is, that is not unfounded. That is just the reality. And there's a problem with that. There's a ongoing problem with that, especially when we think about, you know, folks who stereotype COVID as, is the Chinese brought it over here and this, and this, and this, and that, those things are very, very harmful. So I wanted to bring Kathy on, just kind of share a little bit about where she finds herself right now. I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same stuff, different year. And, you know, and then we're recording the day after the State of the Union. So that was interesting. I don't know if you watched the whole thing. I I watched a little bit of it off and on, kind of leaned over and then um, listened to the Republican response. And I, I think what I'm tired of is how so many white people are surprised yeah. White progressives, right, right, who are surprised at where we are at and who is in the seats of power. So I'm always surprised at these comments about Lauren Boebert or what's her name, who carried the balloon around oh, yeah. yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So characters like that, I think I am I'm tired of the surprise as if that came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And so that part I'm a little exhausted with. I'm just exhausted. I'm still tired. How about you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just got done with uh, my somatics coach and therapist. And I think that's one of the things, right, that we talk a lot about is just the the embodiment of, of, of tiredness, that fight or flight. We're just talking about how to kind of decompress when I get back from work. Cause at least in my work, everything is punitive. Everything it's, it's, it's literally like you, you will start. And then it's the, and then on top of that, people try to white explain you. People try to uh, technically explain you. People try to educationally explain you. Like I got a registrar that thinks they're a dean and just wants to like interfere. I'm like, no, I don't have to explain anything. You're not my supervisor. Right. You know, know, like you don't know. I just need you to delete this class. So, yeah, it. it, Yeah, I don't I, I feel overwhelmingly like I even feel past exhaustion. And I'm just to the point now where which is why I wanted to have this conversation with you. Um, what, what, what do we, what do we do now? Cause I feel like the things that we're doing isn't working. There's that one scene in, uh, in, uh, what is it? Episode seven of star Wars where they say, you know, they're up, they're up against the, you know, the big old things bigger than the death star. They're trying to inflict all this damage. And they're just like, it's like what we're doing is not working. And I feel like that's, right. that's where we're at. Um, but yeah, what was, and, and what, I mean, cause right, we have Tyree Nichols right ahead at the beginning of the year. Then we have the mass, two mass killings, uh, in, in California where gun laws are allegedly the, the best in the nation, quote unquote. Right. I'd love to get your, your take on that as well. Well, I think one of the things that I just found was that because I was getting so tired, I wasn't able to do the things that I felt were still important for, our communities. So one of the things that I've been doing is that um, doing a virtual yoga space for women of color that has been running almost two and a half years. Mm. And, um, you know, at one point it was like once a week, then it was twice a week back to once a week. And so I found that eventually the rhythm was like twice a month. And I, I ended 
2022, I thought I'd be back for 2023 and then the shootings and Tyree Nichols. And I was like, I can't come back. I don't know how, I don't know how to do this. And I realized that I needed to, again, find a rhythm that was sustainable over the long haul, because I think, at least for me, that's one little thing that I can keep doing that is important and is still needed, which is the healing of a group of people in an area that I have some experience and expertise. And if I can sustain that without burning out myself, that is going to be a win. And that is still connected to all the insanity and the racism and all of that going on in the world, but still focusing on our healing so that when we leave that space, we can take a breath and stay engaged. So I've had to tweak it a little bit and adjust. And I think where I'm at right now, that works. But I also have had to decide what isn't going to be the next thing that I take on. So I think for a little while, I um, I had somebody approach me about running for local office. Mm. And yeah, <laughs> and I listened to it, listened to the arguments. And, and I still agree. I think that at some point it might make sense. But at this point, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I am not going to be the sacrificial lamb. Right. Uh, because I know who I am and I know who I've been on social media. And I know that, again, what people are actually comfortable with is not what they say they're comfortable with. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So oh, I think absolutely. that. Right. So I think that's part of it is I I am not going to. I'm trying not to worry and follow the waves because the waves keep crashing on us. We are not part of the wave. The waves are crashing on us. And so because of that, what are the things that we can do? So like you, right, taking care of you, not even the deep healing. It's just so that you can engage on a day-to-day weekly basis. I feel like right now so many of us need to do that mm-hmm. and we can keep it ear out to what's going on in politics nationally but i still am convinced locally is still where a lot of the things that impact our daily lives is happening right like school boards crazy 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 um book banning uh, um, what's being taught, what's not being taught, who's in charge, those types of things feel much more pressing to me Yeah, and not ignoring what's going on nationally. Cause obviously I still paid attention to what's happening. I'm still going to vote, but I'm not convinced that that is going to change the levers fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. I Exactly. Exactly, exactly. I think that's the the depressing part. Like here we are in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And, you know, and it makes me wonder a little bit. I've been listening to a few podcasts and reading a little bit more about the Black Panther movement mm. and what they did on the ground 
because that's what was needed. Yeah. And hell or high water, there was going to be food, education, engagement. And I just, I mean, it makes me wonder. I, I'm sure there are certain there are organizations doing that, but what does it take then to then partner across racial, ethnic, cultural lines? Mm-hmm. Because that's also what they did. And, and then become that kind of movement that is about the people as opposed to the votes. Cause I am, I'm, I'm concerned. Like I think there is value and we need to understand. Yes. Representation matters. Representation matters. However, a black president was representation. It didn't do what folks, I don't know, thought, I don't know. And I don't know what exactly people were hoping for. Yeah, I personally was just hoping that he wasn't assassinated. So win for yeah, that. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Dan. Well, I'm, I mean, in one in one ways, I'm just like, okay, yes, I'm. I, I I'm glad that to hear that because I feel like I don't. I have. I don't have a lot of answers either, and I, I and I feel like I have these bright-eyed college students especially white progressives that show up in these spaces and they've read these books and they're ready to go and do things and yeah no i i understand what you're saying i i think one of the things i have said just recently last week when i was in front of a um group of uh church pastors lay leaders and i said you know um White progressives are actually some of the most challenging people because they have language, but no life experience Mm. in the things that they say they are defending, Mm. right? So they're white. They don't live in our skin, in our communities. They don't face the same things, but they have the language to address it. And so when they are challenged about their head knowledge, because it doesn't automatically transfer into their lives, um, you know, we see that sensitivity. And I would much rather be in conversation with folks who don't have that book knowledge, because then I can walk them through from the beginning. And so what I've said to folks who are younger If you can't have the conversations with the people in your community, Mm -hmm. if you can't have those conversations at Thanksgiving, if you can't have those conversations with your neighbors or even with the people you live with, then I don't think of you as a partner in crime. I don't think of you as an ally. Um, And I think that's part of it where I am so frustrated with people who are like, Um, What I also hear over and over is, well, I don't want to make a mistake. Right. And I think what kind of experience do you have and that you feel like you don't you can't make a mistake that you you're 
You've never made a mistake in your life where somebody says you're wrong and it's offensive. Right. And so you want to avoid that. I don't I don't understand that. So I think if if anything to tell to tell the young folks, um, learn how to be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Learn how to be wrong and be humble and make mistakes and understand sometimes even the question you raise is going to be offensive and you should be okay with that. Right. And if you can't be okay with that, then actually there's nothing that can be done. There really isn't anything that can be done. I mean, you can vote for all of the things that you think that you need to vote for and give your money. Those organizations need the money. So give your money. But in terms of being some sort of partner and ally, please don't. Yeah. Please don't. Because we are always making mistakes. <laughs> I feel like my and your existence in this country, as we are now, is considered a mistake. Right. 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 And so I just... I think that is that's the only place that I continue to land is how nice it must be to feel like you can do three things to never offend anyone. And that's the thing you're worried about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Over and over. I got that question twice last week in the same room. Mm. From people asking the question in different ways. And I think that is where I get frustrated. We're never going to move forward. If people feel like that is the biggest problem, mm -hmm. that they are going to be offensive to people of color. I'm sorry. The power you have is offensive to me. <laughs> the fact that you're worried about being offensive is the problem. I, And so I think that, again... I don't I don't have any answers, but I hope that folks with the privilege understand they have moved through life without worrying about that. Right. They have constantly been offensive. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So many of the laws of this country are offensive, but nobody has called them out on it. And now that they are entering into spaces with people who feel like, yeah, we can call you out on it, they're worried about that. And so I hope that people of color will continue to call that out and then take care of ourselves because right. it's exhausting. I mean, I came back from that place and I was like three days. I just was like, I need to binge on a Korean drama and immerse myself yeah. in other things because I can't I can't do it. How has let me ask you this. Um, how is your own theology, faith? Have you wanted to find it? Spirituality? How, where, where do you where do you find that in, in this era that we've, you know, that we're in uh, currently? Because I do. And I mentioned that a lot. Right. I mean, I do think we're in an yeah. era. I think 2016 marked a, a, a strong demarcation and a shift. Um, but, yeah, I'd be curious to hear, like, you know, how do you where do you where do you find that uh, lately? Theolo theologically, you know, in, in those spaces. Yeah, I. Um, 
I am sticking with my circle, predominantly people of color, because the work we're doing is different than the work the white folks are doing. Right. And I've come to understand that I'm not deconstructing, I'm decolonizing. And so when white people are talking about deconstructing, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But what you're building still looks really like what you left, Mm -hmm. except just with different words and theology. So if the structures still remain the same, the people in power and the people they listen to and the people they highlight remain the same. And so because of that, I am still kind of allowing myself the safety of the cocoon of people of color to listen to. I know my theology over the last five, 10 years has shifted and is more expansive and inclusive. And I think because of that dangerous and scary Mm -hmm. to people I was with, people I listen to, people I still love and respect, where it is a little safer when your theology is limiting. It is um, has doors and yeah. right. And um, uh, because you can control that environment. Mm-hmm. But when your theology is broader, that is scary because I don't have control over who comes to the table or who wants to rebuild or who says we don't even need a table. We're going to you know, be on the floor, whatever, whatever analogy you want to pick. So, um, but uh, I, I would say I still land in the camp of Jesus followers, Jesus lovers. And, um, and so in that way, broadly still Christian and in that space, still hoping to have some sort of influence and the people around me who land in different places theologically. Um, I have been wrestling with that. Uh, I'm finishing a writing project uh, with a friend and we both were in more conservative spaces Mm -hmm. theologically and vocationally and writing for um, a publisher that is more theologically conservative because we also remember that that's where we came from. Hmm. And we had voices who in that space spoke our language and understood where we were coming from and didn't mock us and then asked us and invited us on journeys to ask more questions about why do we believe? Do we really believe X? Do we really believe this is how we should behave? So That's where I land, even though I'm still really tired of Christian progressives, Mm -hmm. I feel like I still have some hope in the land of Christian conservatives, not broadly. So I wouldn't say like all of them, but I do feel like there are folks because I see this movement of deconstruction Mm -hmm. that there are people who are still wrestling with what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, but I don't actually believe that X, Y, and Z is okay anymore. Yeah. So that's where I land. Long answer. No, I appreciate that. question. No, I appreciate it. That's that's why I wanted to ask because I think there's, 
Oh my gosh, there I feel like there's a generalized environment of Christianity that that, that is being purported um in regards to oh we're being persecuted and Christians in this uh-uh. country are uh-huh. being taken out and then of course you have the the harmful ethnic minority. I hear, I've I heard this even in, you know, 25 years ago about China killing Christians. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Um, or in places of, you know, Afghanistan, you know, so these people of color are persecuting Christians and they're killing them off, which I don't want to right. deny that that shit has happened and, 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 and will happen. But at the same time, right, I feel like, you know, like with this balloon that flew over, you know, from China, I feel like, you know, we see this and I'm just like, bruh, how many times has the U.S. done some crazy shit to overthrow a government, which is much right. stronger than right. a goddamn balloon over the country? Right. <laughs> right. Sure. And then we've increased uh, our military in the Philippines. Exactly. Again. Right. <laughs> right. And and I don't hear the people angry about why the government didn't shoot down that balloon sooner. Angry about putting more troops and accessing the land of the Philippines so that we have access to bomb whoever we want faster. I don't hear that. And so I don't care about those voices in so much as they're not, I'm trying not to let them occupy too much of my mental space Mm -hmm. because they want to live in that dissonance, right? Like you said, the U S has been involved in overthrowing governments coups right so to think that we don't have balloons all over (laughs) right come on come on and who knows we may find out decades later that we didn't shoot down that balloon because we knew exactly what kind of intel that that balloon was collecting i don't know i don't know these things they're above my pay grade the bottom line is the more and more i learn about what our government is actually doing mm-hmm. the more and more I'm like right <laughs> right 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 exactly and so I go back to that I don't think that our local government really has any say in doing all of those things but the local government does have a say in what the kids are going to learn in the school district locally they are going to have a say on what books are going to be available and what kind of arguments are going to be made locally for the public library system I think it's important to know who the people are locally who are running your municipality and have an understanding of do you have a say in that? Do you want to have a say in that? And ultimately, I mean, I decided this round, no, I don't want to be a part of that, like as a person, I don't want to run for office, but I'm still going to care very deeply. Right. And pay more attention because I want to know what's happening Mm -hmm. on the school board. I want to know what's happening in the schools because that's where those young people that you connect with. Yeah. Have been coming out of, right? I I want to know. I, and I'd be curious too. I know you're a mom, um, and you're you know in 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 a different state of childhood or even adolescence, right? It's like you got your kids that are in college now. How do you? What conversations are you having with them um, as ethnic minorities uh, in, yeah. in those spaces? Well, so we have one in college and two are grown. So that's a whole like interesting place. 
bringing up all sorts of my own issues again. <laughs> so um, the the conversations we have continue to be, I mean, like the minute they were all eligible, eligible to vote, mm-hmm. that was the conversation about why that's important um, and how to engage in that. So not just like vote the way your parents vote, but here are the things that you want to pay attention to locally because one doesn't even live here in the same state. So what that involves and what are the questions and then the conversations are around like, what are you experiencing where you're at? Because it's different. What are your peers saying? Whenever something happens around the world or nationally, that's kind of big. The question is, so how are you and your friends engaging in this? Uh, so for me, it's more of a, I am asking questions as opposed to telling them how to think or behave. I want to know. Um, and then if they have questions for me to answer that. And um, because I found in my experience growing up in a more conservative uh, evangelical adjacent home, being told what to believe, being told what to do over the long haul of your adulthood is not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and so my approach has been asking more questions. And then when I hear something that I find concerning or problematic to then engage in conversation. And thankfully, I haven't had any kind of red flag moments with them where they've said something where I'm like, you did what? <laughs> so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm really thankful for that. That's what's up. I mean, and yeah, I mean, I think about my daughter too. I mean, I think about, you know, them launching out into a world that I, that, that, you know, there, at least I felt like when I was coming, coming up, there was a sense of, okay, this is what you can expect. Okay, mm-hmm. you, you go to school, you do this and that. And I feel like there's a lot more uncertainty in regards to, you know, the job market, um, the climate. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's like I was just telling my daughter this morning going to school, you know, it's like all the snow's melted and you know, it's supposed to be 56, I think, at some mm-hmm. point later in the week. And I'm like, hmm, middle of De- February. This should be the coldest yeah. time of the year. Right. What What the hell is going on? Something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, so I think, um, I mean, my kids are, my kids are older and so they're not, they know what's up. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Right. And, and they were of a different age going through even the pandemic. My oldest was, um, even the, the older son, the middle child, um, they were applying for unemployment. I mean, like in my, in my adulthood, I really did not anticipate that being the kind of life lesson they would be both having at that stage. And so I will say they have experienced a lot more turmoil in their young adulthood than I did. I mean, and I I entered adulthood in the Reagan years and finding a job was really challenging. That feels nothing compared to what they all have been going through in the last couple of years. And then our, our middle is working from home and his job is fully remote. Mm. Right. So even that was something that I did not 
anticipate when he went off to college. (laughs) I thought maybe hybrid, maybe based on what he was interested in, but never thinking like he would be in a job where, yeah, the company was like, yeah, you don't have to come in. (laughs) And I'm like, please go in. Right. Right. So I, I, I feel like at least where my kids are at and they're all in their twenties, they know what's up. Mm -hmm. And what they're looking at is, um, how to not live so encumbered and I am taking lessons from that. <laughs> I mean, they the two yeah. older ones have the flexibility to, to to work remote and so what they do is they do that. They they are working remote when they can. Um, and enjoying life in a way that I feel like is more healthier than I was living my life in my 20s. Um, and they have the privilege to do that. And so they recognize that. But also, I don't think that they put as much stock into uh, politics. Yeah. I think they're much more aware and uh, they're engaged, but they just don't think that that's where the change is going to come from. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't know either because I feel like over the last what, like for me, the last 10 years, I've been doing the things I was told would work. Right. Get more engaged in politics and policy and mm-hmm. understand and vote for the right people. And I think locally, again, I think it has a different kind of impact on someone's daily life than nationally what's going on because that moves so much slower and flip-flops like every two years so i'm not sure i'm not sure and i and i'm doing also what i feel like has worked in different ways which is connect with the people who end up in my sphere of influence and tell them the hard things which is your liberal progressive language can be dangerous and unhelpful when you do not actually give up power and let other people lead Hmm. because in your language, clearly you're more afraid of being offensive than effective. And if you want to be effective then sometimes you need to step back. I'm not seeing that. So I keep pushing that and I'm taking care of my people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like myself, my family, my community, um, doing what I can for the circle of influence that I have amongst people of color, because again, I don't feel like a lot of white progressives are worried about that, especially in the faith-based space. They're worried about getting their own as well and building their platforms. So I want to cultivate and help the people who are doing the work of taking care of us. Yeah. Let me ask this, and this can be our, our last question. Um, speaking of platforms and, and what, how are you navigating social media these days? Um, what, how do you see, you know, the influence of that? Do you see its worth? 
Um, you know, I take it all with a grain of salt because its impact and uh, its impact is limited because it is not sustained, right? I can, can I can keep producing content, but the same people aren't necessarily engaging with all of my content. So there's no way to keep bringing them along. They can choose to engage and opt out. So with that, I take it with a grain of salt. And honestly, I'm just going to have fun with it. That's I'm good. having fun with it. Right. So it's, I, I have had some people kind of ask like, Oh, I feel like your content has changed. I'm like, yeah, it has because I am not out there, especially I'm probably most active on Instagram. I'm not out there just to educate you. Yeah. Right. And, and so that, that's not my thing. And so I'm just going to have fun with it and, do what I do, which is do lots of things. I am not just and only constantly concerned about making sure you know what I know about racism. Mm -hmm. And that's not, I, I don't run an organization so that like, again, I'm just a human being. So I think that has been um, my way of engaging on social media, which is just to have some fun. I'm completely aware that people are listening and watching and reading, but also I want to say, okay, I'm going to give those people some credit and assume they're listening and reading and watching other people. Mm -hmm. So you're going to come onto my social media and you're going to, um, see what I am reading what yoga pose I am working on, what's, you know, mm, hydration that I'm using yeah. because they're sending me samples. So I'm grateful for that. You know, that kind of thing, which is, again, I'm going to take care of my people. Yeah. That's how I'm going to do it. I love it. And if you don't like it, bye. <laughs> yes. Hey, everyone. I'm Nate from the Full Mutuality Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Jessica, Kathleen, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions that they came from, please feel free to hop on into the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episodes of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking the link in the top banner. See you there.
I think oftentimes in the midst of in the midst of pain and suffering, it's it's very easy to try to look for an answer. It's very easy to try to look for solutions. It's very easy to try to look for something that we could grasp onto uh, to to make meaning, to make sense of it. And I, I I think that's a good thing. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I just think it behooves us to keep pressing forward and to keep moving on rather than to stay in one spot because it feels good or we thought that's what the elders told us to do or that's what we thought you know folks were wanting us to do i want to challenge us to think beyond just that and to think in an afro futuristic sense um the next person i wanted to talk with uh is literally on the front lines um of this struggle and of and on the front lines of quote unquote however you want to put it but you know the movement she hails from uh, the Twin Cities. Uh, she works directly with the, the George Floyd family, the George Floyd Center, Janelle Austin. Uh, I've had her on the show before, but I wanted to just get her sense and her take of where we find ourselves uh, in this messed up era um, that we are in right now. Um, and to see what exact, where she, but not just finds herself, but where her own hopes, desires, and thoughts uh, come into play uh, as it pertains to social change. Like, like the the reach of white supremacy into the psyche of the black community is so deep that 30 years after the LA uprising, we would get Memphis and Memphis would not rise up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that that's what blew my mind. Like I was like where is the outrage? Where are the people? Why are we just taking this? Right. 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 Right, right, right. And that's what I I could I've tried to explain to my students. You know, I got a lot of little white progressive students coming through and you know, they're just like, ah, I'm going to do this and we're going to do that. I mean, it stems like this, Janelle, I'll tell you like this. I mean, this is from where I'm at. Like we voted no confidence two years ago on the president. And mm -hmm. at, in that point, I was already just like, I we're 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 four years too late on this. Right. But nobody wanted to. What gets me about these institutions that that tout themselves as progressive. And this is not just Christian higher ed. This is in a lot of Christian spaces that I that I struggle with and just in and in general, like I came out of the the the, the environment of like Cal State LA, Berkeley and places. So people would rise up and they would do things and there was a there was a plan, right? There was a plan of attack. There was the the air program, which was at that point back in the day, flyers, word of mouth, cats beeping each other on on pages and stuff. And now we have so much more technology. Nobody wanted to do anything. And so I laid out a map. Like, okay, this is what we got. Cause everybody wanted to keep complaining all these faculty. Oh, this and this. I was like, look, this is my last act that I'm going to give y'all white folks. This is it right here. I'm going to give y'all this is a little plan. Broke it down. Three major steps, paragraphed everything out. And then literally silence on the email trail. Nobody was like, whoa, um, I don't know. I still think we need to give her another channel, the president and stuff. I, I, I just think that, you know, we need to be Christ-like with this. And I'm like, yo man, fuck all that, man. And so, we didn't file or no, you know, of no, you know, no, no confidence. Nobody did anything. So I was just like, well, I'm not going to be the only one 
with my fist in the air and I look around and, and you know, people side emailing me like, oh, good work. I, I agree with you. And, oh, that's good stuff. And nigga, do <sighs> something. Are you going to do anything? Right. <laughs> Right. One of these days, when I'm old and gray, I am going to write a book on mm. the times when my emails changed went went quiet. Mm-hmm. Like, because that is a whole thing. That is a whole dynamic. Um, I just had that happen to me. Was it last week or two weeks ago? We have an exhibit up at Methodist Hospital, and they were freaking out because we use the term lynching and they got some negative feedback from right. patrons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and the first week it was like 10 pieces of feedback. And then by Friday it was like 33. So this exhibit has been up for a month and you are telling me like you're, they're freaking out because there's 33 responses, negative responses. And I'm mean, like, your organization has 2,500 employees. Right. You have thousands of people who traffic that space every single day. And y'all are gonna freak out because 33 people who are affiliated with a police department, either the via marriage or friendship, doesn't like the term lynching. Right. And then here's the best part. This is where they, they ghosted me on the email. They emailed me and asked me for a definition of lynching. I gave them one that they didn't like, and see, see. <laughs> but the way I was feeling, I'm like, for you to ask me for a definition of lynching, that's like stealing my stuff, and then ask me mm. what's the definition of stealing. <laughs> like right. this has been around for hundreds of years. You created it, and then you're gonna ask me how to define it. Yeah. Right. And then when I define it, then ghost me because you didn't like my answer. One thing to watch out for. So President Biden has invited uh, a handful of impacted families from police violence to the State of the Union address tomorrow night. Okay. Okay. Now, what I know about past State of the Union addresses that I have watched, regardless of the administration, is that whoever sits up on the balcony Mm. is a show for them to be like, yeah. look at so-and-so. They're up in the balcony. Right. They're my best friend now, so you all can move my political agenda forward. Um, and I'm like, I need this not to be a pacification moment and to, to push through a watered-down bill or legislation. Right. Because when they did the... Emmett Till anti-lynching yeah. act. Uh-huh. When I read it, I was so disappointed because they took the time to define lynching, which basically exclude what police do as lynching. <laughs> See. And that's like, I mean, hello. That's that's like making cookies and just leaving out the flour, right? It's like, ah, <laughs> Matter. <laughs> Never really was there in the first place, you know. <laughs> right, right. Which is for me, it was why it was so significant too. It's because the United States of America has never had a law to legislate lynching, and then in 2022 they decided to create one for the first time in in God knows forever. 
And then they created it in such a way where it protects the actual people who are doing the lynching. Like that is our country. And then people, Ugh. black people celebrated it because they're like, we have progress. Yeah. Yeah. See that? Yeah. Oh man. So, I mean, that, and that's part of why, like I said, I wanted to engage with you. Cause I'm just like, man, you, you are, you literally on the front lines. Um, you were like there, there and, you know, face to face with a imperialist, right? You hope there. I mean, I think about all the times here, at least here in Chicago, that news from the George Floyd square makes it up over here. Uh, and nine times out of 10 is usually something that involves what the police did this, or they had to come through and do that. And then, then the city didn't want to do that. And so now they're, they're having this over to some It's like you in the, you in the thick of it. Um, well, yeah, yeah. which is why I love telling my story because I feel like people need to understand that when they take on the government, Mm -hmm. what what can they expect i think during the civil rights movement what we saw was people be extremely quiet about what they were encountering because that was the culture right 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 like the kind of image that they needed to narrate and curate um had to be airtight because they couldn't risk staying inside of jim crow right yeah so, but now it's like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to tell you exactly what they're doing, how they're doing it, why I believe that they're doing it and what you can expect if you take on your own gov- government because mm-hmm. they all operate the same. Well, let me so ask you this, because a lot of people hear some of these things and they don't want to believe it. What are some of the things that, for example, that some people from the outside would be like, oh no, that never happened. I think there's there's something wrong with that. What are some things that are just outlandish that have happened because I know <laughs> there's been some outlandish things in the in the realm of like surveillance, wiretapping, all of those things that people will be like, Janelle, really? Did you really experience it that way? Um, in the realm of surveillance and wiretapping, I mean, there's a there's an MIT article that came out either it was like January of 2022 or January of 2021. And basically they said um, the Minneapolis Police Department had higher uh, technology when it came to surveillance equipment than our Minnesota National Guard and that they were using it for protesters, press, and there was one other target um, for their surveillance entity. And so it like having these things published by very various institutions and 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 journalist institutions it was so i got it up oh, right yeah. here yep 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 the secret i'm gonna let you continue i just want to give the, the title and i'll put this all on the show notes the secret police cops build a shadowy surveillance machine in minnesota after george floyd's murder yep that's it um so there's those kinds of things that the police do um uh, when but there's there's also like the funny stuff, like because at the end of the there's the system and then there's the people who work for the system, right? Yeah. So uh, to enter in some like comic relief, the people who work for the system. So like after Memphis, um, Minneapolis basically girds loins because they're prepared for people to rise up. And the governor's office calls my friend Toshira, who is an impacted family member, and she leads a lot of protests. And they asked her, 
um, are there any riots being planned? And she was like, uh, riots are the voices of the unheard. Click. <laughs> like, why? Why would you ask? Why would you ask a protester to like basically snitch and say, can you tell us about the riots that you're, you're going to do? Right. So then, there's that. But then there's a, I was in another meeting maybe about two weeks ago. And wait, there, wait, there's a, there's a larger context around this. So since the beginning of this like uprising, the city has always used this language of we're going to co-build the memorial. And they would say it publicly mm -hmm. and therefore publicly and in press, I would retort and say, you can't go around lynching black men and then building memorials in their honor. It's unethical. Right. So, right. <laughs> so, so they backed away from this conversation of the memorial and they divided George Floyd square into three parts through the imagination of the public PR. Actually, I don't call it PR anymore. I call it IC for image control, mm. uh, as opposed to public relations, yeah. right? So they divided it into the people's way, the intersection, like the actual physical streets, and then the memorial. But if you are physically in the space, you can see that they're all one thing like where the people gather, where the memorial exists and where the streets are, it is all one thing. And so the city has worked to try to dichotomize that in the imagination of the people so they can get, so they can gather public interest to say, oh, they're not working on the memorial, they're just working on the streets. Well, the streets are painted with everybody's names. Like, oh, they're not working on the memorial, they're just working on the People's Way, which literally has uh, the murals of Hardell Sherrill, uh, Paul Castaway, there's a tribute to Larry, like, like it, it, the memorial is everywhere. It is the protest. So the city then created this um, unofficial co-creation team uh, to work with the community. And this co-creation team has the responsibility of providing the final recommendation to the city of how they're going to redo or reconstruct the streets. So they begged me to be on this committee. And I said no over and over and over again. And they said, why not? And I said, well, because you just want me on there to actually validate your committee, because if you know that I'm not on there, people are not going to take it seriously. And they're like, that is very true. So can you be on the committee? <laughs> <laughs> So right. um, I actually didn't join it until literally the day before it was supposed to start because I asked my community members and they said, Janelle, they denied us from being on it. And so we need a seat at the table since they're begging you. Can you be on it? And I said, sure, I'll be on it. So I get on it. And then um, the first meeting, I couldn't attend the first meeting. So I ended up going to the second meeting and they gave us all this like data from when they were doing community outreach. So they've been contracted, these these entities have been contracted and hired to do community outreach. Now, mind you, this intersection has influenced the entire world. Mm -hmm. um, right. The entire world marched. Uh, people have come from all across the world to just even lay eyes and bear witness. It still stands three years later as a symbol of protest um, with unpermitted structures sitting in the middle of the street. And 
um, when they gave us the community feedback, it was literally like 46 responses from one exercise they did, 23 responses from another exercise they did, no demographic data. And then they had this marble exercise where they gave people like 10 marbles and then they had to put in their answers of what they hope for their hope for the intersection. And maybe they had a total of 180 people um, in that exercise respond. So I'm looking at this, you know, coming from the academy. I spent like over a decade in the academy. Right, right. And I said, I in, in good conscience, I can't do this. My friends will defriend me like <laughs> if, if, I, if I make a decision on a historical intersection for black lives based off of 200 responses um, like that, like that. No. And no demographic data. No, nothing. Like I'm like, I can't do this. And I have flyered the neighborhood before for events. So if I just went two blocks north and south, so from 37th Street to 39th Street, and then I took it from 10th Avenue to Oakland Avenue, which is maybe about six blocks east and west. Okay. 450 flyers distributed to residences, right? So that is a very, very small segment of the area which has 450 residences. So how are you going to give me like overlapping responses? Because some of those 46 responses overlap with some of the 23 responses, which also overlapped with it. Like you're giving me overlapping responses, no demographic data. I don't know who these people are, where they live, or even if they're black, white, blue, green, or orange. And if we should be listening to them. Right. <laughs> And you want us to use this to reconstruct the intersection. So I said to them, I need more data. I need more data. Right. right. I can't, like, I need more data. You, We cannot move forward without more data. I kid you not. They said, well, we're not going to get any more. So if you're going to get it, you have to get it yourself. Wow. So I say, okay. I make my way over to the University of Minnesota, talk to some people tell them the story and they're like, oh yeah, no, we've got to figure out how to do this right, how to do this well. So then I go back to the city and this, this meeting happened maybe like a week ago. I go back to the city and said, all right, um, I'm working to get the University of Minnesota on board to help us actually get more data um, and to survey the, the people of Minneapolis. There's two responses that just dumbfounded me. The first response was, well, they're going to change all the questions. I was like, well, yeah, you know, that's kind of the point to actually have questions that work. Right. Like what y'all are doing doesn't work. So that's the point. And then someone asked me, well, are you sure that you actually really want to ask people of their opinions about the memorial? Yes, I'm sure that we want to ask people their their opinions and i'm sitting there saying like this is how the city works right like they're they're literally saying without saying it we do these community engagement things as for just public record to say that we did something like where our intent is not to actually 
get the public opinion. Our right. intent is not to actually allow the people to have a voice. Right. Our intent is not to actually represent the will of the people. Like, and so here you come. Like after we told you that we weren't going to get any more data and that you would have to do it yourself if you wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, now here you come actually trying to do real work and messing up our day. <laughs> wow. Like, but this is how city governments work, right? They're like, this is also why I'm learning why it's so important to get a seat at the table. Yeah. Because had not I been in that room, nobody would have pushed back as hard as I pushed back to say, we're not moving forward until we get more data. Yes. Right. Because some people don't even know to, to ask that. Like they don't know to say that this research is not valid. Right. Like we don't, they're just like, okay, this is what you did. This is what we have. This is what we're going to work off of to say like, no, you can't, you can't do this. But city government, we have to remember that city governments are not for us. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not for us. They're not. Um, they're not looking after our best interests. They. They never have. Um, Minneapolis uh, was built, um, like so many other cities, with colonization. Um, you have it was built because of the the waterfall. Saint Anthony Waterfall had power, natural power source, and so. The colonizers came in, massacred the indigenous people, pushed them to the Dakotas where there is no water, right? So while the indigenous people are using it as a life source, they come in and say, we want to use it as a power source. Now, imagine that there is wheat as far as your eyes can see, and it's quote unquote unclaimed. And you realize like, man, I can make a lot of money off of this. And so you start building mills and using the waterfall to power those mills. And there's nobody else around. So you can just harvest as much as you want, take as much as you want. And you become one of the richest families um, because you have an anchor on an industry and you're able to cripple the already existing milling industry because you have all of this natural resource that you're just going to exploit. and the Pillsbury brand was born, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is, this is why you call it Mill City. So Minneapolis has all of this kind of old money. It has this old wealth. It has this old power. Once the milling industry kind of went, um, took took a plunge, then they started moving into um, like the manufacturing industries and, and converting mills into different kind of plants, et cetera, et cetera. But Minneapolis grows and builds and gets stronger. Um, but it's really all about protecting this colonizing economic wealth. It's, it's not really about anybody else. And then there's a book that uh, this white man, rich white man who came from New England, to Minnesota, as a lot of folks were doing. And he's he's documenting the stories, but he's documenting it in a way where it's just kind of telling you who's who in white Minnesota um, and, and why they're there. And he tells this story about, like, they were so proud to be white liberals. They were so, this is written in like the 1800s. They were so proud to be white liberals. They were so proud to not be slavers. Um, yeah the south 
And they're saying like, like, this is who we are. We're not those guys in the South. Now, mind you, though, they were allowing people from the South to come up to the North for like vacation homes. But then what would happen is the people of the South would bring their slaves with them. And then on one circumstance, the Minnesotans gave this woman the opportunity to become free because now she was in the state of Minnesota. She had crossed over. They went to the courts and Minnesota declared that she could be free because she was in Minnesota and it was her choice to either stay with her master or to be free. And she chose to be free, of course. Mm -hmm. However, what proceeds is this woman has to then go into hiding and be trafficked through an underground railroad to Canada. Damn. So tell me, how is it that you can have a state that's so free that a free black person can't even be free in it? Mm. Mm. So you have free black people, but not protect black people. Um, and that and that is the narrative of white liberalism in Minnesota. The fact that you we can have like a quote unquote liberal city council, but yet they keep making conservative votes. Um, because at the end of the day, it's about protecting their wealth and protecting their money. And it's the exact same things that white conservatives do, but just with the different like accent behind it. But there's another element to this, right? So in George Floyd Square, when you come, you'll see on the canopy of the former gas station, which is now the People's Way, is written the phrase where there's people, there's power. Mm. And whiteness understands that. And it does its best to make sure that there is not a collective of people to be able to rise up. No, that's true. Absolutely. Right. And so that's where I would also say is that if they're not going to get you help or give you help because in the way they don't want you to revolt, they don't want you to rise up. Right. That means we have to figure out how do we mobilize the people? How do we mobilize the people? And when I just say the people, it's not even just students because that's what academic institutions love to do. They're like, oh, let's encourage our students to protest. Let's encourage our students to have a voice, so on and so forth, knowing that they're about to graduate and they don't have to hear from them again. Like, (laughs) like, they do that all the time. What does it look like for residents and neighbors and people who live in the same city as that institution to be able to rise up and be like, no, this is not okay. If you are going to exist in our neighborhood, you have to exist according to the standards by which um, we say that an an academic institution needs to be educating people like that, like. Otherwise, you can pack up and find yourself some find yourself some other land, right? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, what does it look like for the people to to rise up and take authority? Re- reclamation. So, I, I I've recently this year. So, somebody asked me, like, what are my thoughts this year? Like, what what am I reflecting on this year? This year, it's um, I am now advocating for reclamation over reparations. Okay. And the reason why is because reclamation is the people taking authority into their own hands and to reclaim 
what is rightfully theirs. Reparations is waiting on the government that took what was rightfully yours to give it back. Yeah. They ain't giving it back. They gave it back. Or if they wanted to give it back, they would have given it back a long, long time ago. They're not giving it back. So what does it look like to reclaim space? This is why George Floyd Square is so significant. Nowhere in this country do you see a major intersection having been taken back by the people and still taken three years later, right? Like reclaimed space. There's this brother in Minneapolis, uh, indigenous brother, has like one of the hottest restaurants in the country right now called Owamni. Okay. Uh, He put this restaurant strategically on the river, that very river that white people massacred indigenous, his people, Mm. and then created a trail of tears to the Dakotas. He ensured that his restaurant was sitting on the edge of that river as his menu is all indigenous foods of the state of Minnesota. Wow. Like, and I'm like, I don't even think people really understand what he did and how he did that. Like that just reclamation of place and space and of land and of story, because most people don't know their history. Most people don't know the history of Minnesota and how it came to be. Right. But that kind of just subtle, I'm just going to move myself on in here and become the most popular chef in the nation right now and do it in a way where it, it protests and reclaims the land mm-hmm. and the food and the story at the same time we need to start reclaiming our stuff like and it was and what's gonna mess it up like white people's day is when we reclaim it legally like that's what that's really gonna piss them off like <laughs> like reclaim it legally um i mean protests are great and taking stuff back that belongs to you are great but if you can find a way to reclaim space Legally, that's going to frustrate white folks even more. This is what happened in history. When when black people who were born a slave figured out that according to the Christian narrative and story that white people were wielding, that if I converted to Christianity, they couldn't hold me a slave because the Bible says that there's no longer slave nor free. So you can't make me a slave if I'm a fellow Christian. And so literally... Black slaves converted to Christianity and then would take their conversion to the court system in the United States and say, you got to free me. Mm. Like how you how you reclaim your own self and your own freedom through the legal system. And that's when white white people realize, oh, this is going to be a problem for us. We've got to really change the laws around Christianity and making our slaves Christian so that they don't all try to get free. Mm-hmm. But We've got to think on that level of strategy of how do we reclaim our place? How do we reclaim our space and not just wait for the government to give it to us, not just wait for white people to give it to us? Like we'll be we'll be waiting for another 400 years. Ooh, Ooh. those that's powerful. That's powerful. Um, Thank you so much. This was this was uh healing in many ways and uh and eye-opening and others and i just appreciate you taking the time i know you're busy i know you are doing this which is one of the reasons why i wanted to reach out i was even hesitant to reach out because i was like i just know you got a lot on your plate so thank you for for making space for this um 
in this time because I, I appreciate it and it's just great to hear from you and what's going on particularly like you said at, at ground zero where george floyd is still mentioned in places like the bbc uh al jazeera you know so there's it's, it's not even now with what's going on in palestine and israel right yep. there's still people talking about george floyd and you know and what that meant so there's there's a lot of you know gravity i should say that uh that is that is there so thank you um continue to fight I'm, I'm i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna figure out how to get back up on that line and, and hold some more of it <laughs> yeah or 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 let's know how we can help you hold the line like if 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 there's a letter that we can write if there's a way that we can show up um i we have to remind people that policing is not the only racist institution <laughs> So the academy is like age old racism. It was built to be racist. Right. Uh, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, like like don't 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 be afraid to articulate what you need to be supported. Not just you, but anybody. Right. Don't mm -hmm. be afraid to articulate what you need so that you can take a break or that you can just have reinforcements. Like yeah. I, I hate to quote the Bible, but I love to quote the Bible because I was trained in preaching. That moment when Elijah had just like basically whipped all the prophets of Baal with like Amon Carmel, and then Jezebel threatens his life and he's like running for his life and he like passes out in the desert. Um, and he tells God, he was like, they, he's like, I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. That feeling is so real. When you are up against political powers who are trying to isolate you mm -hmm. and make you feel like you are the only one left and constantly throwing daggers at every side that you're just like, man, how am I going to survive this? The word that God gave him was get up. There are still 7,000 that have not bowed their knee. And then God also positions him to have help. Um, and he God sends uh, additional prophets to support Elijah. So, so, so we need to take a lesson from that and to say, when we have a brother or a sister who is standing on the front line, um, who is fighting 450 uh, false prophets of, of white supremacy, like, we need to be able to to provide reinforcements. Mm. We need to be able to provide support because it's exhausting. It is depressing. It is traumatic. Um, it's okay to get off of the front lines, um, but it's not okay to believe that you're the only one left because nobody is coming to help. Yeah. So that is the responsibility of the community to ensure that that person doesn't feel like they're the only one left. I've been really um, reserving my comments about uh, the shooting in Buffalo, uh, mostly because I'm just really infuriated with the news coverage and the way people are talking about it. Um, I see people in the media talking about this, like this is a Republican problem and this is not a fucking Republican problem. White supremacy is an American problem. It is something that is embedded within America's fabric and we live with white supremacy in our institutions every single day. 
Socio-political whiteness has always been a weapon in this country used to oppress other people and to steal land and resources and destroy the lives of people that are not white. Those who hold the privilege that this system of socio-political whiteness, those that hold that privilege and use that privilege to oppress people and uphold their own um, comfortability, all of those people are a part of the problem. Like, no, we're not explicitly redlining communities anymore, but bankers are denying housing loans. No, maybe we no longer have KKK members that are doing cross burnings on people's yards when we don't have slave catchers that have dogs in the, in the woods that are searching for people, but we do have police officers that lynch black people without even thinking about it. We do have police officers that surveil black people. And they can never seem to find these people before they carry out white supremacist violence. But they can go ahead and track all of YSL and book them on RICO charges. It's not just blatant white supremacists that are the problem here. It's not just blatant white supremacists that justify what happened on Saturday. But it's also American institutions that refuse to acknowledge the brutality of what has happened in this country and refuse to acknowledge the inequality that is still being perpetuated today. In order to dismantle white supremacy in this country, we need to dismantle the racial hierarchy as well. Like, it's not enough to just say Black Lives Matter, but we actually need to make sure that there are reparations given for everything that's happened in this country. We need to fight back against all these anti-history bills that are passing across the country and be real about what's happened in this country and the atrocities that have been waged against black people. We need to stop pretending that white supremacy doesn't live everywhere all around us and actually fight to dismantle it. Oppression is like a tree. If you only cut off the branches, they will grow back. You have to uproot the whole thing. And just really ask yourself, how sustainable is this? The political climate of this country, the economic climate of this country, how sustainable is this? It's time to take action. Well, and there you have it, folks. Hold the line. Um, yeah, that's a good word. It's a good word. Um, it's not always what I want to hear. It's not always what I, I, I want to do. Um, it's hold the line. And I think, you know, just like Janelle said, I think there's many different ways of unpacking that um, and, and what that looks like. I, um, I do believe change is possible. Um, we are just in a, a, a time period where um, we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, repeating some of the same things over. And like I said at the beginning of the show, um, time will tell how we handle things, climate, race relations, uh, international affairs, um, things that affect just the planet in general. I think, you know, time's going to tell. Uh, and I hope we get it right. I want to hope that we as black folks someday see some sense of justice because we sure as hell haven't seen it. Uh, and everything that we thought we had built up in the 60s has is, is quickly been eroded. And like I've said, you know, the 30 year anniversary of the L.A. uprisings uh, is a real marker for me. Uh, and that hit hard. That hit hard because I haven't seen much change. Uh, I thought I thought it was like, oh, my, you know, give it all this time and, you know, give it some, you know, some years and things will come. It's just like 
Like James Baldwin said, is how much longer do you need for your progress for you to do something? So I don't know. So I'm holding on, trying to keep the line. I hope you will too. Thanks for joining in, fam. This has been Profane Faith. We live in an era of unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Kathleen Reynolds as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences boggle your mind as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode.